Hey everyone, I'm Jose Hernandez and welcome to Behind the Backing Track for Outsider Music. Outside and Music is a media company and record label that connects jazz artists with their passionate fan bases. Please visit us at our website at outsideofmusic.com, where you can see our artists and their recent releases, our podcasts, video interviews, and links to get in touch with us. Behind the Backing Track is a monthly podcast produced alongside Over Here by Big Boss Nick Finzer and Extended Harmony with music journalist Dan Gross, covering music from TV, film, and video games. This podcast digs deeper into the inner workings of the composers, arrangers, editors, and engineers of the commercial music realm. So today I have uh, the world champion, James Landino. Um, how are you, James? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty all right. Uh, been a weird day, but uh, hang in there. <laughs> um, so I say uh, world champion as uh, one of your singles uh, with uh, 99 Lives, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Um, so before we go right into the thick of it, uh, let's talk a bit about your uh, background. So I guess what like growing up and getting into this whole music business, where where did you find yourself in, inspired to like do this for real? So this whole music journey started, I suppose, when I was six years old. Um, my parents um, essentially said that James. Up until the end of high school, you were required to play one sport and one instrument. And so I picked piano, and I was kind of forced to learn piano um, through that time. And for the majority of that time, I despised piano. I, I wanted to quit piano, honestly, at, like as often as I could. I hated it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really like music. like Or I didn't realize at the time of what music I liked, but on the radio, um, growing up, I didn't like any music on the radio. I didn't like kind of like just what was around me I was just I thought as a child growing up I just hated music honestly and then um I would say around the time of I think I was like 11 or 12 one of my friends showed me this game called Flash Flash Revolution which is a online um an online version of Dance Dance Revolution the Mm -hmm. the rhythm game and I started playing it and I was like, wow, I really like this music. This is so cool. And essentially, that was the beginning of a gateway where I got involved with uh, rhythm games and I got passionate about rhythm game music. And from that point onward, um, the rhythm game community was has blown up and there were a lot of opportunities for people to write their own music for these games. Mm-hmm. So that was the seeing that opportunity, I was like, oh, what if I wrote my own music and I got them in these games? And that's when this whole ball really started going. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 an interesting one. That's that's a a different one, and I appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's you know, my parents always they kind of make fun of me every now and then. You know, they're proud of me, of course, but they always make fun of me because they know how badly I want to quit music, and so now. To see me where I'm at now is kind of like they're like, haha, we were right all along. So lucky. <laughs> yeah. So then um, you went on to go to school, or I guess higher yep. education for music. Yep. Um, so I went to Berkeley College of Music, um, 
focusing on electronic production and uh, video game audio. Because um, Berkeley is one of the... I went to Berkeley for those reasons because they had a lot of different programs and courses that focus on game audio, which many schools did not. Most schools, you know, are very much classical or very concert or conservatory oriented. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't for me because I didn't want to play piano. <laughs> no way. That's fair. Yep. Um, so then I guess after, or I guess during your time at Berkeley, did you meet anyone there that kind of like you still, I mean, obviously you still keep in contact with mm -hmm. friends from college. That's always a thing. But like, did you meet anyone there in particular that like you're kind of, you're like significant, like close to now? There we go. Yeah. Um, so I would say the biggest, in terms of my career and professionally and personally, um, I would say a big person uh, I had met at Berkeley was a guy named Falco Young. He mm -hmm. um, he was the person that got me into the Sonic fan games that I had worked on during college. Mm -hmm. um, that had that eventually would become a great portfolio to demonstrate to uh, people in the industry of like the work I can do. Um, Falco and I were at Berkeley, and we kind of. We we kind of did we kind of didn't fit in because we were both kind of dudes who loved rhythm game music and most people at Berkeley wanted to be like the next Hans Zimmer like oh I want to make this epic video game orchestra music and Falk and yeah. I were like no I like B Mania I like DDR I like Mario and Sonic <laughs> so we so we knew immediately that we would have a great friendship just on our mutual interests but also when we started working together that would eventually over time become this big thing now where both he and I still continue to work together on multiple projects. That's awesome. From that point on, from Berkeley, where did you head to? What was your first move after, uh, I guess, graduating? So, my first move, um, well, basically right when I graduated from Berkeley, um, I was in Boston, because that's where the college was, and mm -hmm. I, I told myself, you know, if I don't get a job doing game audio in Boston, I'm going to move out. Um, but so during that, those three, four months between between the graduation and the end of my lease for my apartment, mm -hmm. I basically just networked my ass off um, with as many game studios there were at the time. There was Harmonix, there was um, Rational Games. Yeah. Who else? There was a, there was a bunch of big games that big studios at the time. Um, and so, fortunately, things worked out. I was able to get a entry level position at Harmonix doing uh, audio QA work, um, mm -hmm. and. Yeah, that was that was a really awesome experience. I was really happy with my time at Harmonix. Yeah. Um, all right. So now that we've covered that, I really want to get into this whole uh, DJ thing. Sure. Because I think it's really neat, and it's 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 just different than what I see in like around the rest of the video game community. Mm -hmm. So, how did you get into it? So I got into it. Um, so, kind of what I said earlier, I hated piano. I'd never want to perform. <laughs> there was the last thing I wanted to do was like, oh, I want to go perform. You know, that was not that was not my initial plan. So, I never thought I was going to become a DJ or even as, or, or as much success as I've gotten already with it. So, about mm -hmm. a few months into Harmonix, um, I met a friend of mine named Clark Nordhauser, a.k.a. Grimecraft, and he's a very popular video game DJ and remixer. Yeah. Um, 
But so he and I kind of hit it off because we worked the same company together. We both kind of side shot shows and we we're like, oh, hey, we should just hang out and be friends. And he was a DJ at the time and he knew how good my music was. And he's like, yo, dude, like you should just you should come join this label I'm on called Game Chops. We just started it and uh, I'm doing this Pokemon EP uh, and I want you to remix for my EP. I'm like, OK, cool. Sounds lit. And that was really the <laughs> so from there, it was kind of like. The first six months of harmonics being around Clark, um, he got to introduce me to DJ Cutman because um, he's friends with him. Um, both of them were like, "Yo, you should come to Magfest," and so that's my first time going to Magfest. It was kind of this big whirlwind of new experiences where this one guy introduced me to a bunch of other people, who then was like, "Yo, check out Magfest, check out this, become a DJ, do all these things," and I got to be exposed to all of it, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is awesome!" And honestly, it. I was surprised that no one else was really... There wasn't a lot of other people doing it. Because um, mm-hmm. most of the guys who were video game DJs, um, they weren't really composers or producers even. I mean, they were producers, but they weren't like professional, quote-unquote, industry people who were DJs. Yeah. It was, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I saw this as an opportunity to kind of create that lane and be something kind of new and different like hey i want to be a video game composer but i also want to be this talent to this face this dj um and hopefully kind of showcase that you can be involved in the game audio industry without kind of there's more than one way to get involved you don't have to be just like go have your your portfolio pieces and go join gang and then go work for a company maybe it you know I'm yeah. always trying. Th- I'm always trying to think outside the box with whatever I do. Um, yeah. So I mean, I think it's effective. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, um, so I guess what what kind of processes go into building a set for a show? Because like I I've always just kind of like thought to myself like, wow, this there's a lot that goes on like, just in the booth and just working on a bunch of buttons everywhere, a lot mm-hmm. of automation. I mean. I, I have worked on, you know, electronic pieces and stuff like that before right. myself, but, like, I have never been in front of that much hardware and know exactly what everything does. Right. <laughs> so, so the way I tell people with DJing is that DJing, in terms of the, the product that you hear, like, when you, if you're an audience member, DJing can be as easy or as hard as you want to be while creating mm-hmm. the same general product. And so if I – so – if I want to, I could literally just pre-bake my set beforehand mm-hmm. and just press play and do literally nothing for the next hour. Or I could do the exact opposite. I could like literally beat match everything and like, you know, sync everything to this and like, you know, everything's on the fly, improvising, and, like have my creative music, whatever. Um, or I could do something in between where it's like, you know, I have, you know, certain things I prepare, but they're not caked in, but I know where I'm going. Basically, that, that's kind of the fun about DJing is that it gives you a lot of opportunity to express yourself and kind of uh, behind the scenes figure out how you want to approach it. Um, mm-hmm. For me, I like to do more. I like to, you know, beat match everything. I like to do everything on the fly. I don't pre-make my sets. I don't even really plan my sets. I know the first song I'm going to do typically, but that's about it because for me, um, I just have more fun on stage when I have that sense of creativity, improvisation, and a little bit of risk involved. Okay. Um, and my logic is, if I'm having fun on stage, people will see me having fun, and then they'll have fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
What's the biggest thing you've taken away from DJing and applied it to the rest of the stuff that you do? That's a good question. I feel like one of the biggest, at least in terms of uh, content creation, Mm -hmm. DJing has definitely helped me get smarter about song structure. Um, I think song structure is something that a lot of composers either A, don't think about, or B, don't think about enough, or they kind of take it for granted. Mm -hmm. Um, And so DJing is all about song structure and understanding the emotional charts and changes in dynamic and expression, uh, musical expression, um, and how the listener engages with that. So if, so like in the past before DJing, I may not have realized, oh, if I have this really epic banger section for two minutes straight, people are gonna get tired of that sound. Even though mm-hmm. my mind is like really energetic and yeah, it's energizing, it's great. For two minutes long, for two minutes long straight, it might be not be a good thing. And now DJing has given me an opportunity to kind of think about things differently, like how to think about variations, how to think about song structure changes, and so on and so forth. So that's probably the biggest difference. Okay, yeah, I I can see that being like a just pacing in general is just really really mm-hmm. important, especially if you're playing longer sets like now or even farther than that. I couldn't imagine doing any of that myself so (laughs) kudos to you because that's definitely something um Mm. so earlier uh i guess a little bit before i hit big red button uh we started talking about like labels um so how did you get into that process and how did it work i like i'm as far as I know, your first interaction with a label was Game Chops. Mm-hmm. And so I guess how, how did that process work out for you, and how are you attempting to balance it with the identity of like being independent now? So just to understand better, what do you mean by process specifically? Um, I guess just like the whole signing papers or like negotiations with a label. Oh, like, like okay, I see. Yeah. So, so every label's different, um, obviously, but mm-hmm. uh, the, the process with Game Chops is fairly, uh, very low-key. Typically, you know, DJ Cutman, his name is Chris, Chris and I will talk, and he'll mm-hmm. be like, hey, James, like, got a new, I got new singles coming up, or, hey, James, I saw this, this, work, this whip you posted in our channel, and it sounds really good, would you want to sign it, or you, whatever. And so that's usually how most conversations start uh, these days. Um, okay. Most labels operate where they kind of have to know you first and then they'll care about you. I mean, obviously there are artists who get discovered, but typically it's because I met Grimecraft and then he introduced me to, to Cutman, who's his, one of his best friends. So it, from that point on where they knew that I was a guy who could create good content and was a professional who could deliver things on time. So um, in terms of the process, that's, I guess, that's the ballpark way of how it operates. It's very, for that side of things, it's very low key. Um, mm-hmm. Um, in terms of how it ties into my my composer stuff, um, so the biggest thing for me is about my messaging as a, a creator. So I tell people up front, like, oh, what do you do? I'm an electronic video game composer. And that language already gives me, in my opinion, gives me that umbrella to kind of lump these pillars of what I do. So in one end, I'm a music composer. Another end, I do game audio. Another end, I'm a performing, you know, remix DJ. Um, yeah. And so all those things tie into electronic video game composer because everything everything connects with each other. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, going back to um, Sonic before and after the sequel. There we mm-hmm. go. Um, so I guess you said uh, you had a friend, uh, name of Falk Young, yep. right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you got into it. Well, let me ask first, was that your like first interaction with working with game audio with a specific, like a entity that was not uh, a musician? Entity that was not a musician. So, okay, well... Like, was it my first pro- game audio programmer. project, you mean? Y- yeah, yeah. Uh, no, actually. So, no, okay. the fir- no, the first games I ever worked on were Flash, Flash Revolution. I was 13. And then my first okay. paid one, I was 15. So, uh, yeah, I, so by the time I was in college, I'd already had a few games under my belt, both mm-hmm. through community or through paid work. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so then Sonic Behind the Sequel was just kind of like this... Um, labor of love so to speak yeah it was a labor of love for sure um but uh, uh it was labor of love i saw a lot of great potential in it in terms of the exposure it could create mm-hmm. um and but more importantly i also it was a fun way to kind of present my portfolio because in college you know i wasn't focused on making money i was focused on you know building my craft and building up my credentials i suppose yeah yeah um okay cool um, so you said that you, you've got out of college, worked some, on some stuff with harmonics and then game chop stuff happened and then just other opportunities as a sound designer came up. Uh, in particular, I, you worked with uh, Square Enix on, uh, Final Fantasy 13. Mm-hmm. I guess how, what, what is the role of a, a sound designer like i guess game audio so in, in the workplace well so i didn't do sound design for final fantasy 13 or king hearts okay. uh i was a recording engineer um okay so so which falk also was a recording engineer yeah so basically during those two projects uh falk was the primary recording engineer and then i was the assistant recording engineer and what I, what we'd have to do is we would go to the studio in boston we'd get all our players, like 70-piece orchestra, and we'd have to mic them all up, and then I'd have to be going through takes and noting, like, you know, which takes were the best, which takes were whatever, and then we'd have to go mm-hmm. back and then comp them up and, you know, line them all up. So that was my primary responsibilities with that project um, in terms of the literal work I was doing. Okay, yeah. Um, and that does bring me to... Your, your work as a video game composer in general. Um, when you start working on, I guess, a track or an, an idea, what, what, what is the process that you use to kind of flesh things out to make a work-in-progress sketch? First thing I do before anything else is I put up uh section markers uh, before i write anything before i but i mean honestly before i even like really think about like any musical ideas i mm-hmm. open up my daw and i just put down markers of like okay how long do i want the song to be and i put markers here to here okay and what are the sections i want this to be i was like okay i want the intro to be eight bars i want the verse to be 16 bars and so on and so forth and what i've learned is that this has been a great way for me especially when I'm on a deadline, to stay focused on what I'm creating. And mm-hmm. it kind of just puts stakes in the ground because nothing sucks for me. Nothing sucks more than when I write like 32 bars of music and then I'm like, well, shit, where do I go next? How do I end this? 
And so, mo <laughs> right? But so, it's, yeah. so it's just a, it's a kind of an emotional thing, but it's, if I just tell myself, okay, before I write anything, I know this song's gonna be two minutes long, and I'm putting this marker here and here, and I know these things, it, for mm -hmm. me, it just really helps just like frame everything together before like I get like into the ideas of things. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's incredibly smart. <laughs> um, I should, uh, I'll take note of that. Um, <laughs> so, um, you mentioned stuff about music remixing earlier. Mm -hmm. um, how do you go about the process of reimagining something that someone else wrote? I mean, like, I, like what, what's kind of like your thing? What do you look for? Do you look for like a specific like timbral thing, like the way something sounds, or do you look for like uh, a melody to like take advantage of and just like w w like s spin into something else? Like, how do I approach remixing? Like, why? Yes. Um, it really depends. I, I've, I've experimented in many different ways. Um, I would say the biggest thing for me is whenever I start any remix, I want to decide how close to the original source do I want to be? Because that can, that can greatly change what kind of person will enjoy the track or what kind mm -hmm. of expression or what kind of emotion will get out of it. So sometimes I do tracks where it's kind of by the books, like the song structure doesn't change that much, the chords don't change that much, but like it, it's but it's still a uh, different take on that idea. Other times I'll do something crazy where I'll take like the first eight bars or sixteen bars of a song and then just flip it one eighty and make something completely different in like the drop or chorus section. So I do that as a way to kind of challenge myself and challenge my listeners because. One of the things I've noticed with a lot of video game music is that's usually more often by the books in terms of like, here is the song as is, and then I added a beat drum, and then I added a saw tune, and, you know, a saw synth, and then I yeah. added a, you know, and which is fine. There's not nothing they're bad, but for me, I want to try pushing that boundary of like what can mean a video game remix. What, like, when I think of EDM remixes, just in general, like, and when I think about like the producers that are creating this awesome music, I don't mm -hmm. see that kind of. Uh, experimenting and creativity as often in video game remixes so I want to take some of those ideas and bring them there yeah yeah um, now uh, I'm going to I guess ask you sort of if you have any strong opinions about things to <laughs> I guess express them and why you have those strong opinions sure um, let's see strong opinions on um, I mean, I have a lot of strong opinions of varying degrees. Um, I think the most obvious one that I often talk about is the most strong opinion I talk I'm talking about is I find that as a whole, the game audio community has lost its way on on what we're all about. Why are we doing this? And I think a lot of game audio people in the industry, typically older people, I think they're really passionate about game audio tools, about mm -hmm. a game audio implementation. Like, oh, isn't it really cool that we can do all these things with the game audio in the program? And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking like, well, that's cool, I guess, but what's the music? Like, mm -hmm. I would say for pretty much almost everyone across the board, we didn't get into this industry because of the tools. We got into this because we heard some game audio. Like, we heard, we heard some song in a game we were playing, we are like, Yo, this song's lit. I want to write this, and it's 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 unfortunate when I s often find that that has taken the that that core concept has taken the back seat 
to we need better tools we need better sound systems we need better whatever it it, mm-hmm. it is strange to me so i so part of what i'm doing in the messaging of my craft is i want to kind of remind people of that like hey like I don't care if my game audio is literally a linear loop that's looping for two minutes bars. If if a if a consumer likes my music, if people are talking about my song and like James, I love the songs in this game. I did my job. I don't care if to me it doesn't matter to me if I did this really awesome implementation thing behind the scenes that made you like oh when when the guy fights the monster then this music happens and then when he fights the monster this way this happens. I like cool that's great mm-hmm. but they have to like the music first and that's my goal. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would, I think I would agree with you there. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, dynamic music in general is a weird thing. Like, I've never really, like, thought about it at the, the hardware level, but, like, mm-hmm. it's, it's just kind of wild, you know? Right. Um, yeah, and I mean, I, I got into this whole business of doing music things because of Pokemon, you know, Pokemon, uh, Goichi Nose and Junichi Matsuda, mm-hmm. incredible, just... No, but th- that's great, though, and that that's the thing, every, pretty much every composer I talk to has that kind of story, like, oh, I was playing this game, and, like, this is the game that really inspired me to, like, think about this, you know, to create. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another thing I want to add to that, um... Uh, brain fart. Oh, yeah, so... So you mentioned a game like a Pokemon, and it's like back in like the '90s or like back back when video games were still a relatively new thing. Like game game music was still new, like '80s yeah. '90s era. Like game companies didn't hire quote unquote game composers. They just hired composers. They just hired dudes who wrote music because game audio wasn't really as much of a thing as it is now. So yeah. you know. A lot of, especially a lot of Japanese companies, they would hire like eh, even Western companies too. They would just hire people in bands. Like they would just be like, "Hey, you're in a band and you want to write music for my game I'm working on." And they're like, "Sure." So you know, and then then ten years mm-hmm. down the line, they end up you know being a big time game composer. You know that 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 definitely happened with guys like Grant Kirkhope. Grant Kirkhope was like, "Yo, I was in a band, and then I just like sent a thing to Rare, and then here I am now, and now he's one of the biggest <laughs> guys." You know what I mean? There's there's just a lot yeah. of stories of guys like that. And so the other thing with DJing is I kind of want to kind of re I want to kind of re not recreate but I don't always like the fact that people going to game audio are just about the game audio and it's a, it should be about the musician first and that's kind of a, that's yeah. kind of a theme I've been kind of talking about in this interview like so for me like I'm a musician I'm a creator the fact yeah. that I write game audio is just a meme of how I do it even though I love doing it um DJing you know DJing is a way for me to be a creator so I can build a following I have fans I'm still an artist quote-unquote but it's an extension of my my performances it's an extension or an extension of my craft and I apologize if I'm not communicating as well as I want to but that's kind of no I mean it's it's making sense like I can totally understand what you're saying so like at the end of the day like I love I see this vision where I would love, like, if the 90s was about hiring people in rock bands to write game music, I would love this generation to be producers and DJs writing game music and then writing that wave. And because I, I think a lot, because a lot, a lot of electronic producers are very much inspired by video game audio and video game music mm-hmm. from the past. Uh, 
So my, my personal investment is always in how can I get DJs and producers into this industry or exposed to that, that way they can be excited about game audio instead of the kind of, in an actual practical way than just like a fancy world of like, oh, it'd be really great to write music someday for a game, you know? Yeah, I <laughs> appreciate you sharing that. Um, yeah. And so this, this brings me to a point of uh, recently, um, I've been seeing some kind of weird divisive, uh, divis- divisive, D- divisive? I don't. Okay. Anyways. Divisive. I think okay. divisive. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Thing yeah. going on uh, in the video game community, in particularly uh, about like music surrounding esports, and I've have seen you already talk about this quite a bit, and I I, I kind of <laughs> wanted to like talk to you a bit on like just what all is going on and how to move forward in the future. I guess a a recommendation from a consultant, so to speak. Sure. So the biggest glaring thing that I notice is that there's a bajillion startups, like companies that like, whether they're teams or organizations or whatever, um, that, you know, want to get in the esports community. And that's great. That's great that they're getting involved because it's a very booming industry with a lot of Mm -hmm. promise. The frustrating thing is wherever they put their money, they have not yet uh, recognized the value of paying for quality audio yet or consistent mm-hmm. audio. Um, so I've, I've been on numerous calls and interviews with many companies and a lot of their stories are the same. They're like, oh, we went to this site called Audio Jungle and we just got some like you know pre-made music that just said Epic on it and then we put in our thing and it's just like a generic orchestral whatever track and that's fine but at some point in time it's it's you know it's not focused it's not it's not catered to what the listeners want or what they would or what they want their audience to care about so you have these huge productions like you see like these huge grand like stages not like legal legends a bad example because they actually have you know great music but you have you have like kind of huge productions and then the music and audio is just so lackluster and so like Afterthought, mm-hmm. which is kind of the which is kind of a recurring theme of audio in general. <laughs> um, but so that that's one that I often try to message from time mm-hmm. to time is forget to get people to care more about the audio. Yeah, I mean, I I am definitely doing all that I can in my own local scene to I guess push the value of what original music can do to something mm-hmm. and. I, I guess this has been perpetuated by all of these audio libraries that just go out and get mass licenses for like everything on the cheap, and then we're, we're met with this problem that everything is like super generic now. But I, there's there's a simpler solution that is in clear sight. It's just about I guess the prohibitive level of cost, maybe or what say you? <laughs> At the end of the day, you know, producers want to save money, like production, produ- like production yeah. managers. They want to save money, and in their eyes, they're like, "Well, if we can create a good product cheaper, yeah. let's do that option." You know, that, that that's all it comes down to. So it, it's a, the challenge is how do you, the problem is there's not there has not been a company yet that has taken that risk to be like, "Hey, we're gonna hire an audio an audio director for our company to." to form out a plan an audio scope of like what is like the, the the sonic branding of our of our stream or broadcast you know what and i've had discussions with them to be that guy but no one has taken that bullet yet so i think 
it it's it's only a matter of time in my eyes. I think it just takes the right negotiation and the right consultation to demonstrate yeah. that. Um, I think once it happens, then I think we'll see an improvement. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, a couple of fast old questions to you. Um, what's your favorite most recent game soundtrack or I guess your most recent kind of like set ear earworm for you Ooh, probably Persona 5 I got a PS4 last month and I played Persona 5 and just binged it out to the whole end and I was very blown away by the the music of that game mm. um, and to 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 kind of rear at that point if you listen to Persona 5, there's not a lot of a dynamic audio. Yeah. A lot of it's just loops. And it's been lauded as one of the best game audios of 2017. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't... It, anyways. <laughs> so I was just really blown away by the creativity on the execution and what their vision was. I thought they did a fantastic job, and I love the soundtrack. Awesome. And what I guess what's your favorite all-time game soundtrack if I even ask or you can make a list if you want if there's if there are things that are like so close to contention <laughs> see the cheating answer would be anything from Dance Dance Revolution or 2DX yeah. because like of course there would be there's you know they curate you know tons of music yeah. um that's the cheating answer if I had to take like a, a game by itself probably uh... I would say Link to the Past is probably the closest to my heart. Link to the Past? Link to the Past is probably my favorite soundtrack, followed by probably Sonic uh, Adventure. Okay. Two. Yeah. I mean, they're both solid choices. I totally agree yep. with you there. <laughs> uh, I mean, my favorite mm-hmm. is uh, Pokemon Platinum. It just, there's there's something about it. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> yeah. I lo- Dude, they're so yeah. good. Um, well, uh, thank you, James, for... Uh, speaking with me no problem thank you for having me you can check out all my music on spotify youtube itunes um i'm releasing music personally every month but i'm also you know working on a ton of games this year already so be on the lookout for new game audio new remixes shows doing a lot of shows i can't talk about yet but i'm excited to share them soon so keep an eye out